How to win a bar fight and practice diplomacy while negotiating a bounty on your head. From Civil Wars, Whistleblower Tactics, Schematic Drafting, and the Finer Points of Sith Adoption, The Essential How-To Guide for the Engineering Jedi, by Jack Daw read by Sam Gabriel, based on the works of George Lucas. Content warnings available in description. Chapter 6 Some form of sign that I do it right. If Luke had thought the Imperial Palace was impressive, he had to admit that Quat Drive Yards were simply astounding. So much more than just a shipyard, the entire orbital ring was a cultural, military, and economic hub unlike anything he'd ever seen before. Centuries old, he'd learned that the ring had been built during the High Republic era as a replacement for the aging shipyards on the ground, and to keep the industry from ruining the land any further. Ever since, they'd been steadily maintained and improved upon whenever the technology progressed, right up until the current day and hopefully far into the future. But where ships were built and sold, there was trade. And where there was trade, there were people of all different cultures. And where cultures met, ideas sprung up and spread like wildfire. Which he may have known from his online classes, but actually seeing it was so much more impressive and impactful than he ever could have imagined, even when he tried hacking into the drive yard's mainframe. And it all led to this. Opening his eyes and seeing the intricate stellar map fresco covering the entire ceiling of his suite, he simply took a moment to relax and enjoy the sight. Painted in a resplendent, cloudy mix of royal blues, marked with the shimmering gold paint and inlays of all manner of precious metals to indicate the stars and popular trade routes, the gravity wells and uncharted sections, the map was a snapshot of the galaxy some four centuries ago when it was first painted. In Luke's opinion, it was one of the most beautiful things he'd ever seen. Tracing the routes with his eyes, he imagined the way the traders of old would have navigated along them all those centuries ago, in the older ships that he'd studied for hours while preparing for his tests. A journey of adventure and danger, of faraway stars and strange people with entirely new ideas and concepts and languages to learn. Letting his eyes drift over to the far side of the great vaulted ceiling, he found the edges of the map dedicated to the outer rim. He looked it over yesterday evening just before going to bed, and there he'd found it, just at the edge. Two small dots labeled Tatoi in careful, delicately curling letter. The name is archaic and obsolete as the chart it was written on, but filled with a history that had nearly seemed to breathe in the low light of the evening, and that had sent whispers through the back of his mind. In the light of the morning, that was softly filtering in through the stained glass windows that were slowly losing their opacity in accordance with the daily cycle, the two little dots twinkled on the ceiling, beckoning him out of bed and to investigate further a temptation that was becoming more and more convincing as the last of his sleep faded away with the morning sun. Bracing himself against the criminally soft mattress, Luke threw off the covers and stepped out of bed, the plush carpet under his feet soft and dense against his soles as he padded over to the sliding doors that led out to the balcony. Set in frames of polished brass, the stained glass doors depicting scenes from some kind of mythical stellar quest were honestly stunning but for now he was more interested in what lay beyond the doors. As the doors slid open with barely a sound, Luke stepped out onto the balcony attached to his room, 
overlooking the softly glittering plaza of mirrors, named so for the numerous reflecting pools arranged throughout the plaza, interspersed with fountains that glittered with rushing and splashing water day and night. Even from here, high above it all, he could still hear the clattering of the water, the soft, mumbling din of voices that rose up from the droves of people below, and the slight hum in the air that sang of something more. Sighing contently, he leant onto the balcony railing and merely observed the goings-on below for a moment. Fingers running along the leaves of the plants tangled and twisted around the railing of the balcony, tingling with life and sending shivers up his arms that tapped against the back of his mind. People of all possible species and sizes walked along below in the plaza, every soul as unique as could be, their emotions a symphony where every note seems to have its own destination, some even passing through the gates that led into the palace. The palace. Luke supposed he hadn't thought about it too hard in the months leading up to the gathering due to the, well, everything, but he'd forgotten that, as the effective owners of the ring, the Quarter family would have the privilege to build themselves a nice place to live on it. He supposed he had forgotten that said nice place to live was the Marble Palace. Huffing out a soft laugh at his own oversight, Luke craned his neck over to the side to catch a bit more of the place beside him, done in the same style of spires and domes that had apparently been popular when much of this section of the ring had been furnished. Even Luke, who had a marked interest in engineering over architecture, knew of the Marble Palace. As its name implied, half the construction material of the palace was marble in volume alone, all quarried from quat, and in a truly staggering amount of colors. Blues, pinks, greens, blacks, yellows, reds, and sheer white— it all made for one of the most colorful and emblematic buildings of Quad, despite not even resting on the planet's surface itself. A mosaic of color, polished to a mirror shine, a place that sang with a history just as colorful as it was, whispering in the walls and leaving impressions behind of those so long gone, gone but yet still present in every design choice of the place. With the spires of the palace reflecting the colors of the family who occupied it, Luke found himself in a spire constructed out of a soft sky blue veined with royal blue and white, flanked by two sheer white spires veined through with silvery gray. Decorated with reliefs and phrases towards the top, Luke could honestly say that he was looking forward to spending the next month here, because apparently that was what happened when you were Darth Vader's home. You got roped into all the diplomatic hoopla that surrounded an event like the Gathering, and instead of getting to spend a month working away at upgrading a ship without having to worry too much about the day-to-day -day maintenance, you got dragged along with the rest of the officers to room in the Marble Palace while business was conducted. Though, granted, it was a stunningly beautiful place, and the Quarners were incredibly interesting people to talk to once you got past how they seemed to be just slightly out of touch with the common people. But if anyone thought that was what he said to Vader when the man gave him less than four hours to pack everything he needed and prepare to spend the first full week of the gathering attending various diplomatic events, instead of working away at upgrading the ladies' weaponry like planned, they were gravely mistaken. He'd let the man sweat a bit before he let everything go back to normal, just long enough to pack everything he needed. Uniforms, his ocarina, a little good luck charm he still had from Biggs, and of course as much of his runner kit as he could fit without being conspicuous. That last item might be considered overkill by some, but he had an odd feeling of unease about this whole happening, and considering who he had met last time he was planet-side in a whole new system, and what had happened last time he'd ignored an odd feeling of unease, he wasn't taking any chances, just in case.
A soft breeze began to pick up, and Luke breathed in deeply, remembering when he'd first felt it yesterday and had been informed that while the ring was entirely enclosed, it was apparently still large enough for it to be sufficiently influenced by the sun and pull of gravity and rotation of its own to create its own weather on occasion. Nothing as wild as weather could get on the planet below, but a breeze throughout the day or faint morning fog weren't unheard of before a section came out from behind the planet and back into the heat of the sun. Frankly, the fact that the ring came with wind and water was a downright pleasant experience as far as Luke was concerned. And it was a pleasant experience he could enjoy at his leisure, for sure. Stepping back from the balcony railing, he began to wander back into his suite, the stained glass doors quietly sliding shut behind him as he headed back over to his still-unmade bed to check the time. With the soft carpet underneath his feet and the smell of old wood and fresh flowers interlaced in the room, it really did feel like an unusually lazy and unusually luxurious morning, something which one check at his calm confirmed. Eight hundred fifteen hours in the morning. He'd slept in a whole hour. Which had been incredibly pleasant, don't get him wrong, but it was a far cry from rising at six to get started on a morning routine. He wouldn't even be fetched for breakfast until nine hundred thirty, which was apparently when breakfast was usually served in the marble palace. Flopping back over on the bed, Luke burrowed into the ungodly soft covers once more, the royal blue fabric with gold celestial patterns woven in fluffing up around him. Sons, it was nice not to have a horrifically strict schedule for a day, but he was also beginning to wonder what he should even do with his time. He had a whole hour to do with as he pleased, and though he could go to wake up his security detail, he had a feeling they'd appreciate the downtime that came with such a lax schedule as his as well. So stay in his suite until he was summoned it was, which meant entertaining himself for an hour after the ten to fifteen minutes he'd need to freshen up and get dressed in the fancy dress uniform he'd be expected to wear for the next few days. At least he'd found out yesterday that he could hide his modified blaster-resistant vest and a good chunk of his equipment under there without anyone noticing, perhaps the capelet distracted from any bulk in his upper body that might have otherwise been spotted. Well, whatever it was, it had worked like a charm, and no one had suspected he was wearing both protection and a small arsenal of gadgets underneath his usual dress uniform, which, granted, had taken a bit of doing, but evidently it paid off. Turning himself back over, Luke found himself once more staring up at the star-charted ceiling of the astrolabe suite. He should probably get up and at least get started on freshening up, even if this bed was one of the most comfortable beds he'd ever slept in, right alongside the one in the Imperial Palace which told him that palaces had a thing for comfortable beds, but if Luke somehow was going to keep ending up in them, he definitely wasn't going to start complaining. Shaking off his thoughts, Luke hoisted himself up off the bed again, tidied it this time, when a voice in his head that sounded distinctly like Aunt Beru's made him wince after he tried to walk over to the fresher, and then he did walk over to the fresher, guilt-free from any disappointed aunties, well, until he almost forgot to clean behind his ears. Stepping out of the fresher feeling, well, refreshed, it was a work of minutes to put his fancy dress uniform on, the pants and jacket and shirt all demanded to be put on just so for the uniform to end up actually looking good. Thankfully, it was a skill he'd become somewhat proficient in over the last few months. Against his best attempts and will, he might add, but proficient nonetheless. Proficient to the point that he began to alter the process with little tweaks like leaving a button undone, or wearing a blaster-resistant vest, loaded with various discreet gadgets and weapons underneath his jacket, little unseen tweaks. Pulling his jacket into its proper place over his vest and affixing the capelet, 
Luke began to stretch and bend his body until everything sat comfortably in place. Only then did he begin to ensure total concealment. Within minutes it was like he was wearing nothing but his jacket, and the only real difference in his silhouette was a slight, slight broadening in his chest and shoulders, something he didn't particularly think anyone would notice with the capelet over it. Turning around in front of the mirror on his vanity, he adjusted away the last wrinkles, wearing body armor underneath a uniform never meant to accommodate that kind of thing caused, and bounced happily on his feet when he deemed it a resounding success. There might be those who would say that wearing this kind of stuff was kind of inappropriate, but to them Luke would say that, one, what they didn't know wouldn't hurt them, and two, if there was ever an appropriate moment, today would be it. Because today they'd finally be starting the last leg on Zev's flight. They wouldn't be able to finalize it for another three days, unfortunately, since Zev's graduation would only be then, but at least he could lend moral support until they got there. And what was more appropriate to wear to a flight than runner gear? Besides, it was more than comfortable enough, certainly more comfortable than the dress uniform had been before he'd made a few adjustments. Deeming himself dressed about as nicely as he'd be able to manage, Luke set about occupying himself for the next hour or so, which, considering what his suite was and looked like, shouldn't be too difficult. The Astrolabe suite. Never in Luke's wildest dreams could he ever have expected that he'd one day be spending a month in here, even if he had by some miracle been able to travel the stars and visit the marble palace. According to the history book on the palace, Count Mortis Quata had gifted him when he'd asked for some recommendations and reading material on Quat, the suite had once been the central strategy chamber for planning long voyages some four hundred years ago. When nav technology had sufficiently advanced to render the suite wholly obsolete, the remaining technology had been very carefully stripped out, and the chamber converted into one of the most beautiful guest suites in the palace. It was only open to the public on a handful of days per year, along with a couple of other wings in the palace, but the rest of the year it still functioned in the same role it had for over three centuries, receiving guests important to the Quata family and keeping them in comfort. That last bit had taken him a moment to process when he'd gotten to it, and it had taken him even longer to realize that the Count was definitely sending him a message by gifting him that book. A message that was as convoluted as it was oddly touching. He knew it probably had to do with him being Vader's home, even if they hadn't yet told anyone about that little tidbit, but it was still a thoughtful gesture to appreciate. Especially since the Astrolabe suite had more than lived up to its reputation, the ceiling and walls were covered in frescoes of detailed stellar maps and astronomical anomalies. Even Quat Zodiac was represented amongst the many different stars, forming constellations in gold and silver as seen from the planet below. The room still lived and breathed its history as a place where the most perilous voyages were once charted through the stars, and even with the thorough remodeling it still whispered in the air, brushing up against the back of Luke's mind in words he barely understood. History was alive here in the drive yards, in a way he'd only ever felt deep in the desert, where their past hadn't yet been scrubbed away by the masters. It thrummed in the painstaking art that covered the whole room in a celestial sphere, stories of the past depicted in the way the people from then had chosen to depict the galaxy. He saw it in the plush carpets that covered the dark hardwood floors, with depictions of historic events woven in with each fiber, a painting of threads. He'd felt it in the intricately carved and lacquered wooden, ceramic, and metal furnishings and furniture that depicted scenes in relief and sculpting, scenes of people and animals, plants and planets, of stars and satellites. 
History and myths were everywhere in the Astrolabe suite, and by extension the marble palace depicted in fine, intricate details, every part of the room coming together to tell a story of travelers amongst the stars in one cohesive whole. Frankly, Luke had been afraid to even touch anything, despite wearing the gloves that came with his uniform, until he'd subtly been reassured that everything in the palace had been made to last and be lived in, and could withstand more than just a delicate touch from a curious hand. He'd wandered through the room, taking everything in for over an hour yesterday evening, tracing the frescoes and letting his prosthesis feel the odd sensation of the plaster and inlaid gemstones, taking in the plants and bouquets that were scattered around his room and balcony, filling it with the scent of fresh flowers, observing the twinkling light of the city that was quaint drive yards from the balcony and through stained glass windows, and finally relaxing in the small sitting corner by the fireplace with the stack of books he'd been gifted by the Count and Countess earlier that day, not data files, actual physical books bound in leather and worked with filigreed metal. Reading them by the flickering light of the fire had honestly been an experience he wanted to repeat, and he nearly smacked himself as his eyes drifted over to the stack of books still situated on the intricately wrought calf table made from metals and inlaid gems that Luke had no doubt cost more than a month of his salary. Or perhaps not. Vader had ensured that he had a very generous salary. Either way, he hadn't even gotten halfway through the first book yesterday evening, and considering the majority of them were about the history and culture of Quant, perhaps he ought to remedy that situation. He padded over to the arrangement of chairs that made up his small seating area. For all that they appeared uncomfortable with their hard, carved wooden frames, the chairs were surprisingly squishy. Luke settled himself back into the chair he'd occupied yesterday, folding his legs and feet back under him. He curled himself up into the chair and pulled the book he'd been reading yesterday back into his lap positioned right by one of the great windows that let in streams of multicolored light through the stained glass, Luke noted that, while the atmosphere was markedly different from last night, it was no less pleasant. In the gentle morning light, as their part of the ring just came out from behind the planet, the letters on the page almost seemed to glow, and the sunlight was pleasantly warm. Comfortable and content, he opened the book to the page marked with a ribbon and resumed where he left off. Time passed strangely, reading like that. Minutes melted away as he learned about the history of the marble palace and everything that had been lost and added over hundreds of years. An apiary, an aviary, secret passages for times of turmoil and emergency, the largest orrery on the ring, a theater and art gallery that connected to the street and was open to the public, gardens of intergalactic fame, pieces of unique and historically significant art, a small zoo where rare animals from Quant could be observed by the public living in close approximations of their natural habitats. And there was art and music and architecture and horticulture, and throughout it all Luke could spot the threads of political and cultural systems that operated unlike anything he'd seen before. It was fascinating. Fully engrossed in the centuries' worth of history and politics and culture that just this one building contained, he nearly missed it when someone knocked on the door. Jerking his head up from out of the chapter that was just getting into the modern era of the palace, Luke quickly placed the ribbon to mark his place. "'Come in,' he called. "'The door's open!' The brass and relief-covered doors that led into the astrolabe suite slid open, revealing a stern-looking butler who had introduced himself as Mr. Borean Volus to Luke yesterday, and wore stubborn determination as sharply as he did his uniform, flanked by Volton Slice, who radiated disgruntlement into the room." "'Mr. Volus,' Luke greeted with a nod and a smile as he got up from his chair. 
What can I help you with? <sighs> Mr. Voss greeted with a curt bow. I have been sent to inform you that breakfast will be served in the silver hall in a couple of minutes. Do you wish to practice? With a voice dry enough that desert dust might be impressed and an undercurrent of quiet resolve, Luke very much got the impression that he wasn't meant to disagree here, even if he had been intending to. I do, and thank you for coming to inform me, Luke agreed quickly, eager to get the day started with, but Mr. Volus clearly wasn't done just yet. I have also been informed that a package has been delivered per express to the local post office carrying your name as the intended recipient, sir, the butler continued, tone and inflection never wavering for even a moment. According to the postmaster, it was sent from a planet towards the outer rim, and the last name of the sender was identical to that of yours, sir. Do you wish to have it delivered? Same last name, outer rim planet. Something shifted in the air, and for a moment he could swear he heard the wing humming through the dune's sand. Yes, please, he decided. And if Mr. Volus had any opinions on that matter, he kept them hidden from both his expression and emotions. Should I wait until you're ready to guide you to the silver hall, sir? The butler asked mildly, still in that same tone. And Luke breathed out a small sigh of relief. The marble palace was truly massive, and while not as large as the imperial palace by a long shot, it was still large enough that Luke knew he could get lost for hours without a guide these first few days. Yes, if you would be so kind, Mr. Volus, Luke agreed with a nod, offering the man a grateful smile. I'm afraid I would be entirely lost otherwise. Then I shall wait outside of your suite, sir, the butler informed him easily, before eyeing Volton Slice with a look that carried just a hint of distaste, irritation, and indignation bristling underneath his well-put-together facade. Alongside your retinue, he added on with an upturned nose. Luke observed the scene for a split second and came to a quick conclusion. Actually, he said, eyeing the way friction was building between the butler and the two Vaudet, both sides bristling with indignation. Volt, Slice, uh, please stay here for a moment, he ordered the two clones. Something that still felt a bit off, considering that both of them were decades older than he was and neither were in the engineering corps. But he'd learned to get used to it over the last two months. We'll be there shortly, Mr. Volus. Just give us a moment to get ready. The butler evidently was more than all right with that, as he promptly marched out of the door to wait outside, the hem of his blue and silver uniform fluttering out behind him. Left alone, the two troopers shuffled into the suite, both gaining just a touch of sheepishness in their presence. Crossing his arms over his chest as he adjusted his stance, he gave both troopers an unimpressed look. Care to explain why the both of you seem to have muted animosity between the two of you and Mr. Volus already? he asked lightly giving both troopers a stern look that belied his tone. "'Not our fault, Garin,' Slice mumbled. "'He kept insisting that it was improper for security to enter your suite unless specifically invited, and that such an environment required a more delicate touch than us armoured brutes,' Slice huffed. "'It's like he was expecting us to break down the door and shake you awake,' he groused, crossing his arms defensively. "'And what does he even know of delicacy?' Volt agreed emphatically with his brother. A little more understanding for the high level of security you need would be helpful, you know. And even then, he only allowed two of us to join him, or he threatened to report us for intimidation. Heaving out a heavy sigh, Luke cast his eyes skywards and counted the stars for a second. 
He understood where the two of them were coming from, and perhaps Mr. Volus could have ordered that a bit more delicately, but— All right, he sighed. I understand where the both of you are coming from, but I need you to remember that, one, we're guests here, so please don't start any incidents even if the other party seems to want to start something, and two, you're both wearing quarter-ton power armor equipped with rifles and cutting a rather intimidating figure right now. Some people might be a little more, he searched for the right term, assertive about casual things than they usually would be, he decided to phrase it. It had happened often enough as a runner. People didn't tend to like taking orders from a masked stranger decked out in scrapped together leather and armor-weave armor, especially when they just got the ability to say no for possibly the first time in their lives, which meant being more delicate about things than was perhaps convenient for the situation, or indeed practical. Admittedly, he hadn't exactly thought of the fact that average people may react in that manner to the pseudo-armor, but now that he saw it, it was clear as day what some of the reactions would be. And evidently, Volton Slice now seems to realize that, too, as both startled and quickly glanced at each other, evidently looking over the armor with a new understanding. Oh, Volt mumbled, still staring at his brother. Fuck. Slice agreed, staring back. Luke huffed out a laugh and nodded. Yeah, pretty much. He cocked his head to the side and shot them both a grin. Try to be a bit more delicate around civilians than you'd usually be, he advised them both gently. A bit politer, a bit more friendly, a bit more courteous. You're currently very large and dangerous in their eyes, and that might make for different reactions than the crew of the lady who's used to you lot. Right. Volt quickly agreed with a frantic nod, embarrassment and sheepishness blooming through his presence, echoed by his brother next to him. Polite, friendly, courteous, delicate. You got it, sir. At least it explains a few things. Slice mumbled under his breath apparently forgetting that the vocoder Luke programmed in was sensitive enough for that kind of nonsense. Raising an eyebrow, he watched as Slice ducked his head despite no one being able to see his face, and he got the distinct impression that the man's cheeks were more than a little flushed underneath. Luke rolled his eyes as he shook his head, but wasn't able to stifle a smile. "'Do me a favor,' he said as he began to look for his boots from where he'd kicked them off last night. Tell the others about this as well, will you? I'd rather not have any of you responsible for an incident where a civilian thought they were about to get shot just because one of you was feeling a bit cranky during a diplomatic meeting. I'm pretty sure it'd reflect badly on both us and Vader. That earned him a snort from the two that was quickly stifled and waved off when he looked over with a raised eyebrow as he grabbed his boots. Nothing, sir, Volt quickly assured him. Absolutely nothing. Lie, but not a critical one, so he let it slide. Sitting back down in one of the chairs to pull his boots on, he quickly ran through the crash course Vader had given him on etiquette before he'd been thrown off the deep end into the drive yards. Account and Countess were to be addressed as Lord and Lady, respectively. A bow was expected, but only a shallow one, and the quat prided itself on its strong economy, loathing anything that could be seen as bad for business, though they had a rather different take on what that meant than some other parts of the galaxy. As far as Luke could tell from Vader's explanation— Quant's government worked on the guiding principle of the richest picks up the tab and pays for the public. With extraordinarily wealthy merchant dynasties taking responsibility for the cities they lived in, funding public projects, infrastructure, and public housing, and generally investing in the local economy as a sign of status. The better taken care of a city and the surrounding lands were alongside its people, the better regarded said merchant dynasty was as a potential business partner a principle that came from the idea that if you were both able to spend the quantities of credits needed to fund the upkeep and improvement of a city while still living comfortably, 
that if you were cunning, ambitious, and intelligent enough to keep an entire populace healthy and happy, that if you were honorable enough to uphold the traditions of the planet instead of falling prey to its taboos, then you were likely a good business partner and worth trading with. Luke didn't quite get the whole picture yet, but apparently being the patron of a city was a fiercely contested position, with those able to attain and hold the position seeing market growths in their wealth, but those who lost it due to either mismanaging or neglecting their cities seeing sharp decreases in their profits and potential trade partners. On Quart, apparently everything revolved around this system, and anything that might be a blemish on a city's population, like a populace living in squalor, poor hygiene, having a subpar education, having access to public amenities, and generally suffering, was seen as bad for business, due to a city essentially functioning as a business card for the merchant dynasty in charge of it. The richest dynasties could afford to be the patron of multiple cities, or, as Vader had told him, an entire orbital ring. With the Quarters having been the first to start construction on the drive yards, and having been the major contributors to it when they were built, they had cemented themselves as the nearly undisputed head dynasty of Quat, thanks to the trade the drive yards drew in. Aside from the ring, they were also the patrons of eight other cities, the largest number of any of the dynasties, and by all accounts, they were beloved, if ruthless and cunning rulers. When Luke had asked, that while all this was very interesting, why he had to know all this for the sake of etiquette, he had promptly been told that since he would be accompanying Vader, he would have to know enough not to offend their hosts and know what to talk about. That's when he'd been told to start packing, and also when he'd given Vader the cold shoulder for springing that on him with barely four hours to prepare, just because his home didn't need to bring anything but himself and his attitude didn't mean they all had that luxury. Securing the last strap on his boots, Luke sighed as he tucked all that information back into his brain for later use. For now, he had a breakfast to attend to with the patriarch and matriarch of said ruling dynasty, and an apparently slightly overprotective security detail. Whatever was set to happen, it at least promised to be interesting. Standing back up and facing the two still somewhat guiltily and sheepish figures of Volt and Slice, Luke squared his shoulders and braced himself for another day of trying not to trip over the local customs or fumble his manners, thank the sons that Aunt Beru had seen fit to ensure he'd been very thoroughly drilled in those when he was younger. He'd have to thank her in his next message home. Right, he told the two troopers. Let's get going. Do I look somewhat presentable? He spread his arms out a little with a half-joking grin, and was gratified when Volt immediately acted out an exaggerated head tilt and wobbled his hand while making a dubious noise. Barking out a laugh, he did a playful little spin and grinned wide at the vod. Perfect. Can't have Vader grow too comfortable with dumping these kinds of things on me now, can we? he asked, raising an eyebrow as he headed for the door, nearly missing the abrupt snickers that were promptly cut off when he looked over and poorly covered up as coughs. Nothing, sir, Slice quickly reassured and Luke narrowed his eyes at the second lie. "'I would appreciate some honesty in these matters, you know,' he grumbled lowly, turning back towards the door and rolling his eyes when he heard the two troopers stumble behind him. Why people were always so shocked at being called out when they lied so blatantly he'd never know, even if he did apparently have a sharper nose for lies than usual at least, according to his aunt and uncle. The brass door is depicting scenes from what seems to be a mythical battle between a spaceship and a serpentine dragon made of stars slid open, revealing the still entirely blank expression but deeply annoyed presence of Mr. Volus. Smiling at the man in what was probably a futile attempt at cheering him up a bit while Volt and Slice slipped by to go fetch the rest of the Vaudet, Luke nodded towards him. I had a brief conversation with my guards about their demeanor, 
he told the man quietly, still smiling, even as the butler's eyes widened slightly and surprise sparked through the air. I assure you they had no ill intent and had merely forgotten how, he hesitated, intense their presence can be. They've agreed to try and be a bit more accommodating and remember how their efforts at keeping me safe may impact other people. Whatever it seemed Mr. Volus had been expecting, it clearly wasn't that, as his mouth opened by mere millimeters in a clear attempt to say something that failed when no sound came out, shock and surprise still fluttering through the air. After one more attempt, the man eventually succeeded, and in a near whisper brought out a couple of words. "'Thank you, sir,' he uttered, tone hushed but sincere. Dipping his head towards the man, the exchange concluded when Volton Slice filed back out of the room across the hall accompanied by the rest of the Vaudet, who, while still walking with shoulders squared and heads held high, nonetheless seemed to be a bit less high-strung and severe in demeanor. Cody caught his eye despite the visor and nodded briefly, gesturing over to Volton Slice with a slight tilt of his helmet. Nodding back, Luke turned towards Mr. Volus again, who had rapidly regained his composure and was looking just as expressionless as ever, but Luke noted with a smile that the persistent annoyance bristling within the man had abated. If you'd be so kind, Mr. Volus, we would certainly appreciate a guide towards the Silver Hall. The man's expression still didn't change, but Luke thought that he perhaps caught a glimmer in the butler's eye when he bowed deeply. Then please, sir, follow me. Turning on his heel, the butler began to walk down the wide and ornate hall of the Sapphire Wing, so named both due to the color of the spire they found themselves in and the dominant color of the interior decorations, if not the copious use of the stones themselves in the architecture. At least, according to Chapter 5, chronicling the remodeling of 468 BISC in his book. With floors done in an intricate inlay of marble that switched off beautiful geometric patterns in shades of burgundy, white, black, and an interesting green, it served as a wonderful contrast with the blue walls and vaulted ceilings done in much the same hue that the afterlamp suite had been done, if just a touch lighter. With the vaulted ceilings resting on columns of white marble that made up the window frames at the same time, which were filled with even more stained glass. Luke had to admit that the entire theme of the spire was a beautiful one. As they followed Mr. Volus, Luke and the Vaudet found themselves led towards the same elevator that they'd been brought to yesterday evening, with an appearance that didn't match the utilitarian aesthetic of the Empire's elevators so much that it resembled a giant ornate golden birdcage, Luke had been rather thrown for a loop when he'd realized yesterday that, instead of using cables or such, the elevators used the much more expensive option of hover technology. Apparently even the mechanics had to be outrageous and luxurious in the Marble Palace. Though filing into the elevator, Luke had to admit that it was pretty neat how the open building plan of the elevator car allowed them all to see the floors and building structure whiz past as they descended downwards to the main body of the palace. Finally, the elevator glided down towards the level they were supposed to be at, Lowering down towards the floor from the soaring heights of the vaulted, fresco-covered ceiling, Luke marveled at the droves of people milling around at the grand foyer below. Employees and guests of the quarters of all kinds were busy going about their tasks, talking to one another and hurrying through the foyer with expressions that said they had places to be. It was a real hub of activity, and Luke felt the troopers shift at the sight, leaning closer towards him as their alertness began to rise again. Sighing, Luke resolved to try and keep his own calm as the seven of them did their job as they were instructed to do, even if he did wish that they would just tone it down a tad. The elevator reached ground level and chimed, the sound drawing the attention of the people closest by, 
and Luke could feel the attention of the people shift over to him in the air, whispering of curiosity, surprise, recognition, and most confusingly of all, awe. A hush fell over the nearest parts uncomfortably at the abrupt change in atmosphere, getting the distinct impression that he was somehow the topic of conversation between many of those people from the way they were casting glances towards him. Keeping his head held high and eyes facing forward, he tried to pay none of them any mind as the Vodé fanned out to flank him on all sides, Mr. Volus still leading their party towards their destination. Unfortunately for his attempt at feigned indifference, the further along they walked through the foyer, the more hushed the atmosphere became, and a susurration of whispers overtook the previously lively chatter of talking, laughing, and loudly arguing people. "'Is it just me, or do we seem to be attracting some attention?' he asked quietly, directing the question at no one in particular. He eyed the people around them as discreetly as he could from the corner of his eye, while keeping a sharp eye on the emotional charge of the room as it seems to fluctuate and shift by the second. "'You will have to forgive them, sir,' Mr. Volus replied just as quietly, never taking his eyes off of their destination either. "'When word spread of your presence, the occupants of this estate became rather fixated on your presence. They are most curious as to your person, and unfortunately rumors have started to spread. My sincerest apologies for the indiscretions.' "'Ah, gossip, of course.' though he wondered what kind of gossip could be spreading about him that would have people so excited about a tag-along of Vader. Still, it wasn't like he could stop the rumor mill or hold Mr. Volus accountable for the behavior of a whole estate of people. "'That's quite all right. No apologies necessary,' he tried reassuring the man, still keeping his eyes facing forwards even as he let his voice fill with warmth. "'I just hope that my reputation hasn't already taken irreparable damage before a whole twenty-four hours have even passed.' He'd meant it as a light joke." But the way Mr. Volus's demeanor immediately hardened with determination had his stomach sink with dread before the man opened his mouth. "'I can assure you, sir, that it is not,' the butler informed him firmly. "'Quite the opposite, in fact. The people seem to be rather enchanted with the mystery of your presence within the palace.' A weight dropped off of Luke's shoulders, and he breathed a small sigh of relief, of course. He wasn't exactly sure what one might call a usual addition to a diplomatic party— not like Vader or a general or an admiral in this case. Of course, people would be curious and start asking questions about what his business here was. Though at least he could answer this one. A relieved chuckle slipped out, and he let his shoulders relax. Understandable, he agreed quietly, though rather unnecessary. I'm here as the head engineer of the executor as well as a friend and companion to Vader, he stated quietly, having a good suspicion that any information he relayed here to Mr. Volus would do the rounds rather quickly— given how much the man already knew of the local gossip. Nothing more. Disbelief bloomed underneath Mr. Volus's stoic mask like ink dropped in water as Luke made his statement, but despite his feelings on the matter, he didn't question Luke any further. "'As you say, sir,' he agreed with the slightest inclination of his head. They quickly passed through the foyer and into the hall beyond, leaving the whispers of the people behind in favor of the hallways where the pace of the crowds was quick enough that— much fewer people had the time to extensively gossip about his presence. It didn't stop the glances, though, not by a long shot, and a heavy veil of attention seemed to cover Luke no matter where he went. He hoped it was the novelty of his presence amongst the estate, because otherwise the situation might take some adjusting on his part to get used to. The halls they passed through were at least a pleasant distraction to look at, covered in varying styles of adornment as they were, 
reflecting the dozens of different artists and sculptors who had their say in how the various frescoes, paintings, reliefs, and statues looked like. Not one hallway, foyer, or salon looked exactly alike in style, and Luke thought the whole experience might have been somewhat akin to walking through an art gallery or museum, just one a bit more lived in than what he gathered was usual. Eventually they arrived at an open gallery that faced the gardens, and much to Luke's surprise and delight, they were promptly led outside into the gardens by Mr. Volus onto a winding path paved with flat river stones. Mood brightening by a factor of magnitudes, Luke couldn't stop himself from beaming at his surroundings despite the soft snickers coming from the clones, amusement radiating off of them in waves. He couldn't bring himself to care, though, not when there were trees and bushes and flowers and grass everywhere, the air filled with the heavy scent of fresh green and flowers, humming with life and living that reached all the way down into his very bones. Mr. Volus led them deeper into the gardens, the path cutting through a thicket of bushes and trees in full bloom, leading out into a small clearing that was quieter than the rest of the gardens and contained a large pond with a tiered stone platform at its center that was raised only just above the water level on stilts, which was impressive enough on its own, Luke had to admit, but it was the structure on top that took the cake. Wrought entirely out of a silvery white material in intricate twists and loops stood an enormous open pavilion, or perhaps a gazebo, with only the blue tides on top of it breaking up the silvery color scheme. Long and rectangular, it was certainly large enough to fill a full-sized dining table, and not the kind Luke was familiar with from the homestead's kitchen. Even just from the shore of the lake he could see that it was set for more places than Luke had fingers and toes, even while counting the prosthesis. But it was the people inside of the gazebo that he presumed was the silver hall that finally caught Luke's attention entirely. Milling about inside, he could already see the figures of Admiral Piet, General Veers, and Captain Alter. And when the crowds moved aside enough, he grinned wide when he spotted his home amongst them, standing off a little ways away from the crowd and looking like he was admiring the scenery as much as Luke was. It took more restraint than he expected, not to just forget all pretense and rush over to wish the man a good morning and may begin a hug just because he knew how much Vader both liked and was flustered by them. But Mr. Volus set the pace, and at a calm walking speed, the butler led him over the promenade that rose up above the water and connected the silver hall to the shore. Forcibly calming himself down, Luke took the time to still admire the vast quantity of water around him, something that seems to be a bit of a staple with the driveyard so far. And it was a good thing, too, as a flash of bright color in the water immediately caught his attention. Giving up any pretense of not looking around, Luke fixated on the water entirely, and was more than a little delighted once he realized what the flash had been. Fish Large, brightly colored fish in all manner of patterns that had fins and tails like flowing veils darted around under the surface of the water, and more and more seemed to be appearing by the second. In mere moments fish were schooling around the promenade, darting underneath and along the sides as they displayed their rainbow of colored scales. Luke couldn't help it. He laughed in delight as he paused to wander over to the edge to watch the spectacle that was so different from the small, mostly drably colored creatures that could be found in the few cases throughout the desert. And the fish seemed to like that, too, and more and more appeared to cause a ruckus around the promenade, circling around beneath him in a dazzling display, the water in the very air seeming to bubble with simple joy and curiosity so unlike that of a human, but so endearing all the same. "'I must say I've never seen anything like this,' a voice to the side spoke, and Luke turned around to face the lady of the estate. 
Countess Quara was standing with her hands folded neatly in front of her, watching the spectacle the fish were making with a small smile, delight and astonished surprise winding themselves around her in equal measure. Luke smiled at his hostess and dipped his head into a shallow bow respectfully. Lady Quara, he greeted warmly, a pleasant morning to you. Likewise, Engineer Lars, she returned gratefully, coming to stand by him to observe the odd behavior of the fish herself, a hint of confusion weaving itself through her presence. How curious, she muttered. They've never done this before, as far as I can tell. Luke turns to look up, his own surprise creeping in at those words. No? he asked, glancing back towards where the fish were still schooling around them in droves, some even jumping out of the water in an arc of sparkling scales and water droplets. He thought that perhaps this was just a thing they did, but if the Countess had never seen this before despite it being her pond, what are they? he asked softly, watching the mesmerizing display of color. Orioko, the Countess answered promptly, threads of thoughtfulness beginning to weave their way through her surprise and delight. They are emblematic of quad, long-lived, hardy, colorful, and possessing the rare capability of making porous. They are our living treasures, she explained softly, a weight of history to her every word. And when Luke felt her gaze upon them, he looked up to find a pensive look had settled on to the countess's face. They bring good fortune and longevity to our houses and ward off misfortune. Even aside from the value they produce in the form of porous, they are valued in the protection they give and the blessings they bestow. She shifted to face him fully, and tilted her head to the side, her gaze as piercing as the darts he had hidden on his body. They like you. A statement, not a question, and one that held a weight to it that Luke couldn't quite understand, one that reeked of cultural context he didn't have, but that sent the whispers in the back of his mind howling. There was no suspicion within her, though. Nothing that could point at this being a particularly bad omen, just pensiveness and a background of quiet surprise. He resisted swallowing under the intense scrutiny, meeting her gaze head-on. I suppose they do, he replied quietly, tatting the waters. I don't quite understand why, though. The Countess hummed, contemplating the Orioko that were still schooling around the two of them, bubbling with joy, thrumming with curiosity and excitement. You will have to forgive my bluntness, Engineer Lars, she said eventually, still watching the fish. But who, exactly, are you? You appeared as if out of nowhere, but by the side of one of the most powerful men in the galaxy with miraculous creations in hand. She looked him dead in the eyes, close enough that Luke could see how her steel-gray eyes and the lines of her face only served to increase the severity of her expression. Who are you? And why are you here? Who was he? He was Luke, Lukesh, the first freeborn Skywalker. He'd been a runner, and was still a runner, sworn to Kestra, the sacred sandstorm, and was to be a runner once more, now that it became abundantly clear that there was still need for him. He was the nephew of Owen Lars and Baru Whitesun, raised as their own and taunt everything they knew. He was the home of Darth Vader, and Vader was his home in turn. With luck, he'd be his runner one day, too. He was Luke Skywalker, and he was here to rescue as many people as he could, with the time and tools he was given. But what business was that of hers? He smiled mildly at her and inclined his head. 
I'm afraid that the answer is dreadfully and boringly simple there, milady. he lied while telling the truth. I'm merely here as the head engineer of the executor, doing what I can, and I'm here as the friend and companion of Vader, nothing more. Not a word lied. Not a single one. The Countess seems to realize that, too, as she considered him for a long moment before dipping her head towards him. Thank you, Engineer Lars. That is most illuminating, she said. A thoughtful look in her eyes, and Luke abruptly considered that while she may not have gotten the information he didn't want her to have, she still got the information she desired. Turning his gaze back towards the Orioko, he wondered what she'd been able to read between the lines of his statement. Before he could get too deeply into his contemplation, though, something twitched at the edge of his senses, and he looked up to find Vader approaching, and a lot closer than he thought he would be. But not enough to sneak up on him. Something that Vader evidently realized, too, as he froze in his tracks. Grinning wide, he inclined his head towards the man, and was incredibly pleased when Vader huffed out of breath and inclined his head as well, resignation and pride purring around the man and wrapping around Luke. His first time catching the man in the act of spooking him during an official event nonetheless, and it felt great. Apparently Lady Quata didn't agree with him. She startled, and her eyes went wide the moment she spotted Vader, fear skyrocketing around her, which Luke found a bit overblown, but he could understand that with Vader being as large and armored as he was, he could come over a bit intimidating to anyone who didn't exactly know him too well, though with Vader apparently doing at least annual visits to Quad, you'd think that Lady Quana would at least catch on to the person underneath all that. Still, he should probably step in. A pleasant sun's rise to you, my home, he greeted with a grin, echoing the man's words back at him with satisfaction that carried just a hint of smugness, something that Vader seems to realize all too well. With a poke of a slightly peevish reminder not to let his head grow too big after one victory, his home begrudgingly settled into radiating a quiet pride. "'And may the desert bless your day,' he rumbled in return with a curt dip of his head, before eyeing the fish down in the water, now schooling somewhat more subdued, and Luke could feel some confusion start to bubble up in the fish swimming below where Vader stood. "'It seems they are rather fond of you, Luke,' he noted oddly. Or rather, your light. And here Luke had to blink twice in confusion. What? Your light, Vader repeated patiently. Or at least the light that lies within you. They find it pleasant. Right. Luke went to open his mouth to ask for clarification and immediately snapped it shut when he felt something sit up and start to pay attention as if in anticipation. Forcibly swallowing down the question, he instead nodded, like that made perfect sense. I'm glad they do, he said instead, and found he meant it. With all the joy and curiosity that was still bubbling away beneath his feet, rising through the air until it was dancing all around him, it was hard not to be happy that the Orioko liked him. Vader hummed out a low sound before inclining his head towards the silver hall. I do believe breakfast is about to be served, he mentioned and Luke knew for a fact that it wasn't because the man himself was looking forward to eating, unable to eat or drink, he had to finish that redesign as soon as he could, but because he was implying with all the subtlety of a brick wall that Luke ought to eat like every fretting parent ever. Shall we? he asked, tilting his head towards Luke with something hopeful sparking within, and he felt all his annoyance at the man's fretting melt away. 
With a roll of his eyes, he allowed Vader to start herding him towards the breakfast table, Lady Quanta walking by their side, silently thoughtful, as Vader attempted to hurry Luke into eating like he would keel over and bash his head if he didn't start in the next five minutes. Ah well, he did it out of care. Within the Silver Hall, the majority of the people invited to the table was apparently already there, and the last few stragglers showed up in the next couple of minutes, leaving only their hosts to beckon everyone to the table to start eating. With Lord and Lady Quana taking their place at the head of one table and the rest of them being discreetly shown their seats by various attendants, Luke was pleased to find that his seat was directly next to Vader, with him sitting to the Countess's right hand and Luke sitting directly next to him in turn. Shortly after everyone was seated and made comfortable, breakfast was served, and much to Luke's delight it was some kind of buffet, with foods of all kinds that he'd never seen before. Strange, flaky pastries that were stuffed with a kind of jam of a fruit Luke had never tasted before, roasted vegetables seasoned with what seemed to be a kind of purple salt that tasted exactly like one would expect, but with a hint of savory. A fruit salad that only contained fruits Luke had never heard of before, and one of which was a bright pink and tasted honey-sweet, but also vaguely like roasted nuts. Breads that were colored blue and green throughout and tasted incredible. A variety of breakfast meats from animals Luke had never even seen, let alone eaten. There was something of everything, and between it all was fascinating conversation to be had with his breakfast companions. The Count and Countess both had an incredibly vast and varied amount of knowledge and were more than happy to talk about how their planet worked and its history. Captain Alter, who was seated next to Luke, was also happy to chat after he broke the ice with a joke or two and showed herself to be a fascinating conversational partner with in-depth knowledge on a whole catalogue of animals across the galaxy, with an apparent preference for feline-like species. And Vader, well, Vader was pretty self-explanatory as far as Luke was concerned, and when the man wasn't trying to not-so-subtly encourage him to go for second or third helpings, it was great fun to fall back into their regular bickering on all things mechanical and engineering, switching between various languages as needed. In fact, it was so fun that he nearly missed the fact that Vader wasn't eating altogether. Unfortunately, their hosts had not, and it was apparently starting to wear on them a bit. Eventually, he took notice of the nervous airs building up around the two and let the conversation between him and Vader fall silent, eyeing them with concern. "'Milady, my lord, is everything quite all right?' he asked carefully. You appear to be discomforted? That was apparently the opening they had been waiting for as the Countess and Count exchanged a brief glance, the Count turning to Luke. Well, there is one thing my wife and I too noticed, Engineer Lalas, he said carefully, and next to him the Countess carefully composed herself, poised with deliberate grace. Forgive me, my lord, she said, addressing Vader and trying for a slight smile, but we couldn't help but notice that... You have not eaten throughout the meal. Will you not be eating? Sure. Of all the questions to ask, that was perhaps the touchiest one when directed to a man who couldn't eat. And apparently Vader agreed as an abrupt flare of annoyance burst to life, the table guests in direct proximity falling silent too. I will not, he responded tersely, irritability flaring high, and Luke sighed softly placing a hand on his home's arm to distract him from the question, he really would need to work through those designs soon. Discomfort and fear spiked around the table when Vader bristled with irritation and Luke barely resisted rolling his eyes at everyone's dramatics. You will have to excuse us, milady, 
He directed easily towards the Countess, whose face had gone oddly mask-like while fear and bitter regret billowed around her like a silken veil in the wind, the Count next to her not doing much better. He has dietary restrictions and will eat at a later time. For now, instead of food, conversation and company will do just fine. It did the trick, and Countess and Count relaxed, the Countess inclining her head towards him. But of course, she demurred, and my apologies, Lord Vader. Accepted, he rumbled in a clipped tone, still bristling a bit in annoyance, but no longer rising in irritation, and Luke huffed out a soft sound as he felt Vader's annoyance settling around him, slowly morphing back into quiet contentment in what was definitely a sulk, even if the man denied it. After that, the conversation slowly started back up again, but Vader was noticeably avoiding conversation with the Quadras, and Luke nearly sighed again even as he understood. To compensate, he himself made sure to carry conversation on with the two Quadras as normally as possible while also conversing with Vader, holding hushed conversations in Kerala while switching over to Basic at a moment's notice. All the while still eating his fill, mind you, in no small part thanks to Vader resuming his fretting like nothing had happened. Breakfast passed with little further incident, and soon enough Luke was walking back to his suite, joined by, surprisingly, Vader, while the Vode trailed some ways behind them. To ensure that he was duly freshened up for the first major event on the docket, the visit to the local school's talent exhibit, which, as far as Luke understood it, was basically a chance for both the schools and graduates-to-be to show off in front of the Empire officials and companies present in the hopes of scoring a good job. He didn't quite get how that was supposed to work, but hey, if it did work, it worked. And who was he to question it? Especially since it was where he and Zev would be meeting up again for the first time, and where the final three days of his flight would kick off. You seem to be deep in thought, little star. Vader rumbled lowly, drawing Luke back out of his thoughts as they took the slow route through the gardens back to the palace, both enjoying the scenery on the way and commenting on the greenery occasionally, with Vader knowing a surprising amount about the local flora and popular landscaping techniques. Just thinking about the event later today, he assured the man, and the people will meet. That was apparently enough to draw Vader's attention away from the vividly red water lilies that floated along the edge of the pond and the Oriko that were still following them in a colorful train, and back towards Luke. I presume you mean the young Veers primarily, correct? he asked amused curiosity dancing around the edges of his presence. I must say, I did not expect you to show as much interest in the General's son as you have, though I suppose it is only natural for youths your age to start showing that type of interest more concretely. Wait, what? Head swiveling towards the man with wide eyes, he looked at Vader, who was doing an extremely bad job of hiding how much mischievous amusement he was getting from the situation, the situation which implied Luke was interested in. No, he asserted tentatively, jabbing a finger towards the man. You did not just imply that. I absolutely refuse. Vader, the jerk, merely rumbled out a laugh. Truly, it is nothing to be ashamed of, he continued, not even bothering to hide the laughter in both his voice and presence as it danced all around them like flames of a fire. I was just about your age when I started to show interest. Sons and fucking sand, he muttered as he began shoving into Vader's side, feeling his ears begin to heat up. Shut up. It is merely simple attraction, Vader Mark defended, still laughing as he continued his mischief. When one person finds another desirable, it is only natural that- It's not that, he hissed barely refraining from yelling as his face felt like he'd been out at high noon in the desert without a hat. 
It's not that at all. I don't even like people like that. Any people. Oh? Vader crossed his arms, amusement still dancing through the air like a bird in flight. Then do tell what the source of your interest in young Veers is. Only one meeting, and yet you are so invested already, little one, he said. And Luke cursed himself for letting himself get played so easily while he could feel the man grinning underneath that stupid mask. I must say, I am curious as to your reasoning. Damn it, he sighed. Technically, he didn't have to tell Vader anything. He could just say he'd taken a vow of silence over it, and the man would probably understand that just fine. He'd been a child and knew the weight of secrets, even having Luke make a vow to uphold his own, but... But... He trusted Vader. He trusted him with his own identity as a runner, and he knew he could trust him with the secret reason behind Zev's hiring. And, per the stipulations of the vow, he was allowed to tell the man because of it. That, and it would get him off his back over being interested in Zev. He chewed the inside of his cheek for a moment and made a decision. I was sworn to silence and secrecy over this, he began deliberately, and he felt Vader's demeanor shift from amused and mischievous to intrigued and serious. The vow allows me to tell you, but... He looked his home in the eyes and squared his shoulders. Can you keep a secret, Darth Vader? Vader regarded him for a long moment before dipping his head slowly. I can, he agreed, and then... Tell me how. Vow, Luke ordered quietly, the air feeling heavier around him as the weight of the words began to settle in. Vow that you will keep this secret and tell no other unless you know you can trust them. Vow that you will share this secret with none but those you trust with your own. Silence settled in between them as Luke awaited Vader's decision. His home's presence twisted and turned languidly, contemplation giving the shift a deliberateness that belied how casual it looked. And then... I, Darth Vader, Vader began slowly, servant of the Empire, and Dark Lord of the Sith, hereby swear a vow. Shoulders squared and standing straight, with his head angled low to meet Luke's eyes, Vader looked far more severe than usual. The air thickened, and the man's presence seemed to flare with power, the thing at the edge of Luke's awareness shifting its attention with interest at Vader's words. I vow to hold the secret entrusted to me, unless I find another I would entrust with secrets of my own. The sensation of shifting sands in the back of his mind intensified and built up into a veritable storm, drowning out everything except for Vader's words, ringing with a power that was as foreign as it was familiar. I vow that none will hear it from my mouth, unless they fulfill that requirement, or I am released from my vow, or may the Force enact its wrath upon me. Something took hold around them, something dark and powerful that seemed to dim all the light around and still every whisper of sound in the air as the storm within Luke howled louder. So I vow it to be, he finished. And with barely any warning, something seemed to snap in place around them. Whatever entity had been overseeing the vow sealing it as abruptly as it took its leave the moment the last word rumbled out of the vocoder, and all that was left was Vader and Luke himself, standing across from each other, the ball now firmly in his court. Never breaking his gaze away from Vader's, or even taking a moment to remedy how dry his mouth had gone, Luke spoke the sealing words. I accept your vow. And just like that, 
Some unseen tension leaked out of the air, and reality reasserted itself. The splashing of water, the wind through the rustling leaves and grass, stirring up scents of fresh grass and flowers, the soft buzzing from the bees of the local apiary through the flowers around them, and the distant singing of birds in the aviary. Life hummed through the air, and Luke heaved a sigh of relief with it. Well then, Vader rumbled lowly, his own adjusting senses broadcasting the sensations loud and clear. Shall we, little one? He gestured towards the winding path, and Luke nodded gratefully. They walked on together, and Luke quickly sorted through his thoughts, arranging everything he knew into as coherent a story as he could manage while Vader patiently allowed him his moment. Then it was time to begin. You've probably already guessed that hiring Zev was not just a job for him, but a cover as well, haven't you? He began quietly, waiting for Vader's quiet sound of affirmation before continuing. Good. Well, it's a cover for me acting in my capacity as a runner. Zev is my charge, and that job as a secretary is his ticket to freedom, he confessed. Voice soft as he remembered the utter grief and despair that had been so deeply embedded in Zev. He is not free, Vader asked quietly, and Luke shook his head. He may not be chained as a slave, but he is trapped with no way out. General Veers insists he go through Contnor, but it's crushing his spirit, and I fear it would crush him beyond repair if he was forced to go through with it, Luke revealed, before sighing and bracing himself to reveal the biggest secret Zev had given him. Not to mention kill him outright, should it ever be discovered what he is. Luke revealed, before sighing and bracing himself to reveal the biggest secret Zev had given him. That got Vader's full attention, and Luke could feel it focus on him with laser precision. What he is? he asked lowly. And Luke could see the suspicion begin to weave its way through the man's presence as expected. Yes, he confirmed with a nod. It requires some understanding of how he got there, but when Zev was initially sent to a Contnor Academy as a teenager, he made his first friends, but also had his first personal encounter with slavery in the form of the teachers there. He gave Vader a significant look when the man began to shift, discomfort staining his presence. Needless to say, once he and his friends began to realize the full extent of what slavery is, they objected strenuously, too strenuously. Luke kept a sharp eye on Vader as he paused in the story, and felt like he had achieved a minor victory when he felt the realization settle in and a bitter resignation immediately follow. For their attempts at protesting slavery, they got dragged from their rooms, detained, some of them tortured, and Zev at the very least was intimidated with the bloody, barely conscious body of his friend as it was dragged out of the room, never to be seen again, Luke summed up in a clipped tone, recalling Zev's hitching breaths and gathering tears as he told this part of the story. Vader's resignation now seemed to intertwine with a deep-seated loathing, though directed at what he couldn't be sure. Zev was spared thanks to the influence of General Veers, and merely transferred to his current academy afterwards, but his friends disappeared like ghosts within the system, he continued. He knows only two got out. The other three might as well be dead, as their names have ceased to exist in any kind of documentation. Luke shook his head and shot a quick prayer to the moons for the safety of those lost souls. They could be dead, he added on tonelessly. Vader didn't respond, but something seemed to draw in upon itself, and in its shifting Luke could see a flash of something he hadn't quite expected. 
Shame. Then another wave of loathing covered it up again, and Luke was left wondering if his home was starting to realize what the true shape of the Empire his master ruled meant for the people lower in the ranks. Needless to say, this event has marked Zev deeply, he continued on, keeping his tone even and quiet. Afterwards, once he regained his bearing a little, he fell into the search of trying to find them, and in the process made all kinds of contacts in the underworld with more than a few figures who have a less-than-abiding respect for the Empire. And how that seemed to catch his home's attention more than anything, and he stilled as Luke continued his story. He tilted his hand to look at Vader, keeping a sharp eye on the way the man's form had gone perfectly still. They helped him out in his quest, and in return, Zev began to help them out with theirs. Vader whirled towards him and snarled with the vocoder, he is a rebel. He's my charge, he snapped back, baring his teeth as he channeled his sheer determination to keep his charges safe into making his blind idiot of a home back down and remember the real enemies here. He's my charge, and if he's a rebel you can't live with, then so am I. Vader reeled back, shock and surprise painted bold and clear to see over his entire being. That's not... He attempted to refute with a growl, but Luke snarled back with a growl of his own. Is it not? He hissed. If freeing slaves by defying the masters make Zev someone you can't live with, then you can't live with me either, my home. And perhaps the use of that name was underhanded in that moment, but sun's fire, he would not have his chain-blind home hurt his charge and his blindness. He would not trade a future charge for his current one. He would not leave either in chains. He would not. Vader stumbled back, barely half a step. But the reaction was clear as day, and his defenses were blown wide open, leaving his every emotion and thought on clear display for Luke as he pressed his advantage. Would you condemn a runner, Vader? He asked lowly, voice barely above a hiss. Would you? Would you condemn those who break the Master's laws to free the children of the desert, to free those in chains? He glared at the man in front of him, eyes locked with opaque lenses and staring deep into the man that laid behind them, the storm within him howled and roared like the crate that were its messengers as he stood firm and fast. Would you? The question reverberated as it hung between them like the most piercing toll of a bell. The silence that followed was deafening, and for just a split second, Luke wondered if all sound had simply ceased to exist. But then Vader breathed again that rhythmic cycling, and Luke knew that it was just an illusion— an illusion not helped by how Vader was entirely taken aback, openly staring at him in palpable shock as he processed Luke's tirade, something he would feel bad about if it weren't for the stakes on the outcome of this argument. Either he won, and they would all be a step closer to freedom, or Vader, chain-blind as he was, would win on his master's behalf, and it would be the end for Zev and quite possibly Luke as well. He glared at Vader, fierce as a crate, and hardened his resolve, he would not fail here. He couldn't afford to. I am a runner, my home, he told Vader quietly, never breaking eye contact. And Zevulon Veers, a runner in his own right, is my charge, no matter the laws the Empire says he broke. For a moment, it looked like Vader would say something again, and Luke growled until he backed back down. He wasn't done just yet. He broke those laws in pursuit of his friends, who were unjustly taken from him and from their lives when they chose to defend those in chains, 
He broke those laws in defiance of the masters when he defied them to free slaves. And now I will break those laws and guide my charge to safety, no matter what any might say. He drew himself up to his full height and squared his shoulders as he let the full weight of his mission and vows sound through in his voice. I am the runner of Zevulon Veers, my home, he declared. Every hour of planning, missions, and flights shining through as his voice turns to steel. And I say this. You will not harm him. Luke stared down at Vader, keeping his silence now with his peace said, and letting the impact of his words do the rest. He'd said his piece, laid his cards out on the table, and the ball was now firmly in Vader's court, ready to be played one final time. Silence stretched out between them, Vader still silent and unmoving as neither of them broke their gaze away. One could almost think that Vader had simply frozen if it weren't for the fact that his emotions betrayed him. Wild and erratic, conflicting from all angles and enough of a tangled mess that even Luke was starting to get disoriented from trying to follow it before it all abruptly died down into something oddly reflective and bittersweet. But then Vader nodded, and Luke's worries melted away into nothing. I will not, he agreed softly. I give you my word that no harm will come to your charge, my... my home. Luke breathed a sigh of relief and let his hardened resolve slip away into the background of his mind until it was needed again, smiling gently at the man who had just proven himself to be so much more than what he was made to be. Thank you, my home, he whispered quietly. A gratitude that sheer and true shining through in his words. Vader merely nodded, and for a moment he looked so wildly off-kilter and lost at everything that had just transpired that Luke couldn't help but want to comfort him. And, well, with his brand of aggressive caring, that wasn't exactly an urge he had ever repressed. Stepping forward and into Vader's space in one fluid moment, he'd wrapped his arms around his home's torso and tucked his head in under the man's chin, smiling when Vader immediately held him as well, squeezing Luke against his chest just a little bit tighter. He breathed out a contented sound as he softly squeezed Vader back, just enough that the man would hopefully be able to feel it through the armor weave, Vader's own presence wrapping around him like a particularly personable blanket. The air around them slowly grew quiet and calm, a gentle warmth thrumming through it as Luke softly began humming a little refrain from a lullaby his aunt had sometimes sung to him. Vader huffed out a sound as he apparently recognized the tune, but didn't say anything or let go when Luke continued, simply content to listen as his equilibrium re-established itself. Slowly, Vader's presence settled back into its usual form, and when Luke drew back a little out of the embrace to look the man in the eyes again, he huffed out a laugh when the man's presence nearly whined in protest as it reluctantly let him go. Smiling as he looked into the lenses he'd glared at only a few minutes ago, Luke dipped his head in gratitude letting himself be seen in his entirety as Vader's presence carefully poked up against his mind, inquisitive and just a touch nervous. Thank you, he repeated again, still not stepping out of the embrace. I know that mustn't have been easy for you to do. Vader rumbled out a soft sound and drew Luke back into a full hug, Luke laughing softly as he tucked his head back under Vader's chin. Perhaps, Vader agreed quietly. 
But you made a salient point. There are some things within the Empire that I am less than fond of, that I would wish to see changed, that I was promised would change, but never have. Perhaps... Perhaps this is how they change. Luke grinned and nodded into the Plastasteel. It is, he promised, meaning every word of it. No change has ever come about by people quietly asking for it. It's a fight every time. And perhaps you disagree with Zev's methods or mine, but those in chains won't be freed because we politely ask for the key, no matter how often we do so or in what way we try. The only means we will get that key is by taking it, forcefully if we must, or by sleight of hand. And we cannot allow ourselves to be stopped by the laws of the masters that would call that vandalism or theft. We are not property to steal or destroy, Vader mumbled, voice and presence both feeling like they were far away, memories not his own hanging in the air like a haze thick enough that Luke could almost think he wasn't imagining the taste of salt and sand on the back of his tongue. We are people, and we have our names. Luke's breath hitched as he heard Vader recite the words he was taught so often. Words that passed amongst the children in the slave quarters of Tatooine like a prayer. Exactly that, he breathed out against the armor, his breath fogging up the black plastisteel. Exactly that. They stood there in silence for a moment, with Vader's thoughts and memories hanging thick in the air, writhing and roiling like an especially agitated serpent. But it was no longer steeped in that deep, overpowering loathing, so Luke merely closed his eyes and settled in to wait. Vader would sort through his thoughts in his own time, and Luke was more than content to simply listen to the sounds of the garden and bask in the sun while he was held. Eventually, Vader seems to come to a conclusion as resolution dissolved throughout his presence until it seemed to seep into everything around it, saturating the air. I will not condemn a runner, he asserted quietly, but the words might as well have rang out like a thunderclap with the weight they carried. I will not condemn those defending the chained, even if they are a rebel. Luke took a moment to breathe deeply before responding, taking the time to recognize the stride Vader was making here. He wouldn't condemn those fighting for the freedom of slaves, even if they were rebels' sons. He couldn't be prouder. I'm proud of you, he whispered into the plastisteel, snickering when he felt the man freeze up for a brief moment before regaining his bearings and hugging Luke tight. And thank you, he added on. I knew I was right to trust you with this. Vader rumbled lowly, as strange, a deep tangle of feelings roiling once within him as he pulled back just far enough to tilt his head, to rest the brow of the helmet against Luke's forehead, an indistinct susurration of static shivering out of the vocoder. I am not certain you were, Vader confessed, a voice barely above a whisper as static crackled along the edges, old pain and regret coloring every word. And perhaps that may once have been right. 
Perhaps those flashes of old pain and regret marked one of those great mistakes Vader had confessed to making when someone had trusted Vader and been wrong, but that mattered little as far as Luke was concerned. Right now he had chosen to trust Vader, and right now he was right to do so. That's all right, he told the man as he gently nudged up against the brow of the helmet with a smile. Because I am. I trust you with this, this secret, and I believe more than anything else that I made the right choice. I trust you with this, he repeated, putting as much sincerity into it as he could. Vader would keep his word. He believed that to his very core. Vader would keep his word and Zev would be safe. At least from the man himself, and to Luke, that seemed like half the battle won already. His home hummed out a low sound, and finally let him go with one last squeeze. Luke stepped back, but stuck close enough to bump up against the man when he felt like it, waiting for Vader to make his move as the man shifted nervously, a blot of anxiety spreading over the man that resisted Luke's best attempts at trying to figure out what it was. But when the man finally found his voice, it was to say something that was the last thing Luke could have expected. Would you... Do you wish for my aid in this? Vader asked quietly, avoiding his gaze as he stared out over the pond, possibly following the path of the Orioko as they slowly danced in intricate patterns, waiting for them to either approach or move on. I do not know what would be useful or wanted, but... He trailed off, and for a moment Luke had to imagine how difficult it would be for someone like Vader to offer to allow someone belonging to a group of people they hunted across the galaxy not only to go free, but to help with them as well. There was power in that decision, though he wasn't sure if Vader saw it that way, but there was. A kind of power that spoke of autonomy and of freedom. Vader's master wouldn't have allowed or approved of this choice, would likely punish it if he knew of it. But Vader made it anyway. Small steps. If you feel comfortable in doing so, Look agreed softly. I do not, Vader informed him flatly, and Luke snorted at the unapologetic bluntness of his home. But I would do so anyway if you asked. Luke opened his mouth to answer, but hesitated for a moment. Vader's offer was well meant, no doubt, but something just didn't feel quite right about it. I'd appreciate your help, he told the man carefully. But I won't ask you to do anything you aren't comfortable with. Running a flight is dangerous in many different ways, and I won't ask anyone to do it who isn't prepared for that or comfortable taking those risks. Vader looked at him for a long moment, and Luke could nearly see the various things he'd said so far be weighed and contemplated behind that mask of his. I am uncomfortable with the idea of aiding a rebel, even if they are fighting slavery. Vader said eventually, a thoughtful quality overtaking his tone. But I think... I think it is time for me to face that discomfort and aid a runner in spite of it. Then I will gladly accept your aid, Luke returned, dipping his head with a beaming smile and a wink that had Vader huff out a laugh and reach up to ruffle his hair. Luke was about to retort by shoving the man off of him when the unmistakable tread of the pseudo armor reached his ears and a nervous presence shuffled into the edge of his senses. Someone cleared their throats, 
and looking up, Luke found Cody standing a little ways away. The rest of the squad, clustered close together just a little further behind him, nearly hiding behind his frame. Um, my apologies, Grant, Alor. The command began nervously, wariness fluttering around him. But is... is everything all right? Sharing a quick glance with Vader as they both seemed to remember that they just had an entire argument in front of the Vode in a language definitely all of zero of them could understand before hugging it out, Luke could barely keep his face straight for all of three seconds before his composure fell apart into giggles. Unfortunately, this seems to weird out the poor commander even more as he began to shift nervously, something not helped when Vader let out a chuckle or two of his own before shaking his head with what was definitely an eye roll and Luke would call bullshit if he denied it again. At ease, Commander, Vader rumbled out. All is well. The fact that Cody's presence immediately shifted into highly dubious incredulity did nothing to stop Luke's laughter, even as he tried to get it under control and Vader lightly shoved him to remind him to at least pretend to act professional, pulling himself together as best he could and wiping tears from his eyes. Luke grinned at the Commander. Not to worry, Cody, we're fine. Just a bit of a disagreement, but we got it sorted. He grinned wider and could already feel Vader eyeing him from the side, no doubt expecting what was about to come. By which I mean I won, he clarified with an even bigger grin, and not even getting tapped on the head and reprimand by Vader put a damper on it. In fact, he snickered under his breath while Vader huffed and crossed his arms, unable and apparently unwilling to refute him. Cody's visor twitched side to side between them, and the incredulity only crystallized further. A bit of a disagreement, he repeated flatly. Of course, sis. Anything else? Oh, we may have made a pact or two as well while we were at it, Luke threw out with a false casualness, shrugging his shoulder. But for the rest, no, not really. Vader sighed deeply, and Luke bit back another laugh when he felt the man's presence settle into a long-suffering resignation. He may understand exactly why the man was set off at his reveal of Zev's true nature and the nature of his hiring, but he wasn't about to let him have a free pass on threatening his charge, never mind that he still had to get him back for his earlier teasing. The fact that poor Commander Cody was staring at the both of them with a sense of baffled disbelief that very much helped Luke to imagine his expression underneath that helmet was honestly just killing three kestrels with one stone at this point. Right. The commander muttered slowly, clearly thinking they'd both lost the plot and not being particularly shy about it either, which, fair enough, they probably did look a little strange from the outside looking in. In any case, sirs, I'll be clear to proceed towards the palace. I believe we still have a day of planning to get through. Right, the whole reason they'd even gotten to everything that had just happened. For all that had just happened, they still had to get through the whole rest of the day and actually attend the talent exhibit, meet up with Zev, kick this whole flight into its final stage, and to hopefully make a clean getaway. Hopefully. In any case, it was time to get this show on the road, quite literally, and it seemed that Vader agreed with him, as the man laid a hand on his shoulder and gently began to nudge him along while speaking to the commander. You are cleared, commander, Vader rumbled. We will proceed towards the palace with haste. He turned towards Luke, and a heavy warmth seemed to drape over his shoulders. It seems our attendance at the talent exhibition 
is more vital than I had believed after all. Luke beamed up, and Cody wisely chose not to ask any questions despite muttering something inaudible under his breath as he directed the rest of the squad to take up flanking positions once more while his annoyance and exasperation flared. Soon enough, they were walking through the rest of the gardens in long strides, and while the Vode were still on duty and reluctant to do much talking in such a crowded and unfamiliar area, Vader was more than fine picking up the conversation where they'd left off. So Luke began to talk him through the rest of the flight preparations that had been made. The man was fascinated by it. Soaking up every last scrap of knowledge Luke gave him on the proceedings of a flight, and Luke wondered if he was seeing that young child Vader had once been shine through, still dreaming of the stars. Luke, meanwhile, was having the time of his life getting to go into full detail about what kind of disguise and demeanor you wanted to affect to be able to roam any estate essentially untouched in full view of whoever was present there. It was incredible what a visible tool belt, a grumpy, tired demeanor like he didn't want to be there, and a bored question of whatever his goal was could do for any infiltration. People practically tripped over themselves to give you the directions you needed, and sometimes they even took pity on you and gave you a cup of calf as you headed wherever you needed to be going, something which Vader found as incredible as it was hilarious, even if he did ruefully note that stars would die before the day arrived where anyone could look at him and consider him just another face in the crowd, no matter how much he mastered the art of sounding as bored as could be. Conceding the point, for now, Luke instead moved on to gear, and took particular delight in the moment when Vader finally realized that, when he was talking about concealed weapons that could be hidden under nearly anything, he did very much mean anything, including a dress uniform. Snickering quietly while Vader sighed as they stepped into the elevator heading towards the sapphire wing, Luke grinned like a loth cat that got into the cream as his home processed the fact that he was wearing a small arsenal on his person and he hadn't even realized it. Apparently, a rudimentary prosthesis covered in leather wasn't the greatest at sensing small changes in density and structure to a garment when something was layered under it, even if said prosthesis was rested directly on a shoulder or back. "'You are a menace,' Vader accused flatly, glowering at him from behind the lenses in an attempt at intimidation that was so weakly executed he honestly suspected the man was just playing at it to cover up his mortification. "'And you're just embarrassed?' Luke shot back with a cheery tone bouncing on his heels as the elevator took off to drop them off on their respective floors, Vader having refused to take any room more than a few floors removed from Luke, never mind that the rooms aboard the Lady were situated many clicks apart. Vader grumbled out something unintelligible in a mixture of static and growls that Vader interpreted as reluctant agreement, and he beamed back with triumphant delight. In either case, he continued, when running a flight, it's only appropriate to carry the matching gear, even when it feels like it might be over-preparing. This is Zev's flight, and I'm not about to treat it to any less preparation just because it's a different kind of flight with different circumstances. Besides, even when he'd thought of going without his gear, it had just felt wrong. Perhaps it was a sign of him being stuck in his ways, but there was a tradition now to wearing his gear to a flight, and it felt off not to do so, like being underdressed for an event. Sighing, Vader seemed to give up on the matter. Very well, if you are certain, little star, he rumbled inclining his head towards him. Whether or not that resolved the matter at hand, Luke would never know, as the elevator began to glide to a halt as they approached Vader's floor. Vader rolled his shoulders and nodded towards the Vode as he softly squeezed Luke's shoulder. "'I will see you in a few minutes, little one,' he murmured. 
and with the chime of the elevator as they reached his floor and the opening of the doors, he strode out of the elevator, mantle billowing behind him. The doors slid shut again, and the elevator resumed its path to its last stop before the top, the sapphire wing. Standing in comfortable silence with the clones, Luke didn't expect much conversation to happen until... Sir, with all due respect, Boomer suddenly spoke up. I have never seen anyone else have weirder interactions with Lord Vader. Boomer, Apo snapped out, but Luke was already cracking up at the blunt observation. Fair enough, he conceded towards Boomer with the tip of his head, though I've got to say that the measure for weird interactions you have is rather lacking then, Boomer. You argued and hugged with Lord Vader, sir. Boomer shot back, trying and failing to affect a flat tone, while his presence whirled with curiosity and excitement. I think my measure is just fine, thank you. Boomer! Cody growled low in warning, but Luke waved him off. It's all right, Commander, he reassured. Besides, it's clear you all have questions about what happened, so why not indulge in that curiosity a little? It was true, too. Ever since the clones stepped back into his immediate awareness, he could feel an undercurrent of curiosity gathering below their sense of duty and stoic professionalism. And now that permission had been given, Luke watched in wonder as the personas of stoic and stern guards once again abruptly melted away into an excited and slightly goofy band of brothers, even if the commanders and Hex tried to hide it. The rest of the ride up and walk to their respective quarters was marked by laughter and Luke trying to answer as many questions as he could— about the things he and Vader had talked about without compromising any secrets or privacy, which granted took a bit of silver-tongued wordcraft, but when both he and the Vodek came away from the conversation satisfied when they split at their respective doors, Luke considered it a skill well used. Running a hand through his hair as he entered back into the astrolabe suite, he breathed in the scent of fresh flowers and lacquered wood that was slowly growing to be familiar. Looking around the room as he breathed in the scents and took in the surroundings he still couldn't quite believe were to be his home for the next month, his eyes nearly skipped straight over a package that had been neatly placed next to his unfinished book. Eyeing it curiously, he ambled over while kicking off his boots at the door. The package was rather large, clearly well insulated and plastered on all sides with scanner stickers and a whole spectrum of colors and styles. Clearly it had gone through quite a few hands before coming to him with a big red cleared stamp on the top. With that, and a sealed letter written on gold embossed lilac paper. Carefully lifting the stationery to see if there were no traps attached or strange substances coming off of it, Luke cracked open the wax seal, a wax seal, who even had those anymore, and read the contents written in a neatly cursive arabesque script. Honorable head engineer laws. I hereby deliver you the package discussed earlier. Rest assured, I made certain that it was thoroughly vetted by consummate professionals. Regards, Head of Household Staff, Borean Volus. Luke nearly smacked himself once he'd read the note through and realized what the package was. Of course, his aunt and uncle's package had arrived. He'd completely forgotten about it and all the commotion, but honestly it couldn't have arrived with better timing. Tossing the letter down onto the calf table, he fished his knife out of his boot and began working away at the package seals with the sharp edge. The cheap plastisteel bands popped off easily when he wormed his knife point into the locks and wrenched, which wasn't the way he was supposed to go about it, but like hell was he going to try and deal with the equally cheap scanner systems of those kinds of locks. 
cutting through the hermetic seals and shivering as icy air escaped from inside the package with a hiss, Luke finally could begin tearing open the package itself. Ripping away the insulation material inside that was still cold to the touch, Luke grinned wide as dozens upon dozens of plastic cases filled to the brim with vacuum-sealed packets came to light, each one stuffed with all manner of things. Fruits, leaves, nuts, roots, stems, flowers, insects, larvae, small animals and animal products like teeth and leathers, junk and baubles or perhaps food to the untrained eye. A literal treasure trove of poisons and venoms to a runner. Holding a packet of what seems to be frozen clumps of dirt to the light, Luke grinned with a vicious delight as he spotted the distinctive white specks on the clumps that betrayed that this wasn't just any old dirt, but the cocoon of a very specific animal. Made of special secretions and dirt, each of those hardened little balls contained a grub from the kacha beetle, and within those hardened little shells was a pocket containing a mixture of both grub and some of the deadliest venom Luke knew of. One dart with only a drop or two of it would do the trick on all but a few of the humanoid species within the galaxy. Of course, any runner worth their salts had other means to fall back on before they immediately reached for the deadliest poisons, and his aunt and uncle had thankfully seen it fit to pack him the full range of choices. Hallucinogens, nausea inducers, light poisons, tranquilizers, mood alterers, or indeed just lethal toxins, he could mix nearly every kind of poison with the desired effects from the plethora of choices his aunt and uncle had provided him, and a small note included in the familiar spiky handwriting of his aunt confirmed what he suspected when he read the inventory she'd included. Having raided his old supply freezer back in his workshop for a good deal of what she had sent him in foraging or bartering for the rest, he now had a poison collection sitting in front of him that would be enough to take out the entire lady if he used it just right, which was frankly a slightly alarming amount of toxins disguised as various innocuous things, but he wasn't about to weigh a gifted water skin especially not when it came from his family. Besides, with the flight he was planning, he would need every advantage he could get, and the ability to take out an entire ship if needed was a damn good advantage indeed. He turned the packet of frozen kacha cocoons over in his hand and contemplated the fact that just the five cocoons contained enough venom to take out the entirety of Anchorhead and then some— and according to Aunt Baru, she'd gathered and bartered for and then packed him over a gross of them. Thirty packets of five, totaling up to one hundred and fifty grubs, and enough toxin to wipe out a whole city. And that was just the kancha. From what he could see, there were hundreds of packets, each filled with all kinds of fun stuff. Thank the suns, moon, desert, and storm that this source of poison was a closely guarded secret by the children. He didn't want to know what most matches on Tatooine would do with a source of poison like this, far closer on hand than whatever they had shipped from who knows where though he supposed he'd done much the same, but unfortunately his knowledge of toxins was limited to that of those found in the desert so far, which could be remedied by study, and he planned to, but he had a feeling events where he would need that knowledge wouldn't be waiting for him to get his education in, hence his request to his family to stock him up with something he definitely did know how to use, though admittedly he hadn't been expecting quite this much, or to receive it this fast. Amberu must have gotten a tag carried away, and enlisted the help of his uncle again to carry out her plan, he'd have to remember to send them both a nice thank-you note with his next message. Fiddling with the packets, Luke wondered if he would have to try it out now or wait until another chance occurred. On the one hand, he was already entirely geared up and ready for a flight, 
Now would be an ideal time to see if his new gear could handle meshing with toxins and whatnot. On the other, there was overkill, and then there was overkill. And taking lethal poisons along with you to a talent exhibition, despite said exhibition technically being the scene of the flight, was definitely overkill, even by his standards. But still, it was a part of his runner gear, and he did have an opportune moment here to test it that likely wouldn't come up again for some time. Pondering the neatly packaged gift of death in his hand, Luke weighed his options before abruptly remembering something. Aside from Vader, no one even knew he was wearing this stuff, and even Vader probably wouldn't catch on to the fact that he had abruptly changed his loadout to include some truly lethal stuff, and he would need to test this eventually, so what difference would it make if it was then or now? The poisons would be in sealed containers anyway, and it wasn't like he was planning on using any of it, so really, he could just go nuts. Narrowing his eyes at the little packet for a moment, Luke closed his eyes and reached out to the whispers in the back of his mind, and the hint of the storm that he carried with him no matter where he went. Shivering as he made contact, he sorted through the impressions that he seemed to get the barest hints of. Caution, anticipation, excitement. Nothing that overtly screamed that this was a bad idea, nothing that told him to hold it right there. Instead, all he got the sensation of was to be careful, and what he chose to interpret as an invitation to just go for it. Honestly, it was all he needed. Dropping the packet back into the case, Luke quickly shrugged off his uniform jacket to expose the vest underneath, lined as it was with pockets and compartments both detachable and not, some filled with weapons, some with food and water, some with useful tools, and some empty yet. And now he knew just what to put in the last ones. Browsing through the packets of discomfort and death in the form of flora and fauna with a grin as he wondered what to select, Luke considered that today, today would be one of those days. Today would be interesting. The text of this story is available on AO3. Theme music written by Jack Dockry, Sputnik, and Sam Gabriel. If you would like to commission me to record a story, voiceover, or character, please get in touch with me using the contact information on my website, which is located at samgabrielvo.com. And there you can find other stories that I've read, as well as links to my Patreon page, to which I hope you will consider subscribing to support me, and my Discord server, where I record things live for your enjoyment. And finally, as always, thank you for listening.